1: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice.
2: And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider, also have an MBA in finance, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon
3: Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Great to be here today, guys. Yeah. Yes, it is. Good Saturday. Another great
1: day here, and we are excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m.
2: Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner. You can stream us. You can catch us on the dial at uh, 1230 a.m., or you can also go to our podcast on the website. We have a little podcast button over to the right, and it says podcast, <laughs> and if you click that, it'll take you to the the previous recordings and we have it organized by topics and so forth so if you miss a week you can go check
1: it out yeah no excuse for not listening to the money doctors and do check us on our website as john mentioned it's moneymd.net. you can uh, check out our podcast there with the link or you can uh, email us your questions we'd love to hear from you or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. um well guys we have a great show lined up for the day um some good things here. Um, one of them is uh, we're going to talk about the markets again. Again? Surprise, surprise. Yeah. This yeah, is a good topic. This is a good topic. So, you know, title is Markets Stink, What Now? Okay, I mean, I hate to be a downer here, but yes, markets <clears throat> markets do stink. Um, they've stunk for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. and uh, But the question is, what do you do next? And we've right. been talking about this over the last... You know, a few weeks, and uh, but we're going to kind of give you the next step in the progress process here. You there know, you go. what should you be focusing on? So you want to tune in for that. Opening up the the playbook. That's right. How really to get through these, keeping things
3: exactly. in perspective. Yeah. Exactly.
1: No doubt. No doubt. And then
2: we're going to follow that up with ten things all women should know about their financial future. And guys, we we see this um, unfortunately. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll have. Uh, Clients that come in and their husband's passed away, or maybe they've gone through a divorce and they're not sure what to do. And so this is a list 10 items. You want to make sure that you put on your to do list even if you 're married and you have a spouse, you need to understand these different areas that we 're going to talk about
1: yeah, very important that women you know take the steps to be informed about their finances yep, so that 's a good topic
3: all right then we 're going to talk about disclosures, uh, especially on retirement products. you know the feds are really starting to crack down uh, on this and have even posed legislation um, that will probably Kind of peel back the curtain a little bit for firms and brokers that aren't as, you know, forthcoming with, you know, the different fees and things that are associated um, with different financial products. And, you know, that's one thing I can say that I'm, I'm very proud of uh being part of richard young associates that was one thing that attracted me to uh, the firm a long time ago uh, was just the transparency and the willingness for us to walk our clients through that Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. so this article really addresses that and just some of the changes that we might see uh over the next little bit yeah
0: a
1: lot happening on the uh, regulatory front so that's a good topic and that leads us up here, though, to our financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from uh, American Funds. It's a mutual
2: fund company out there. It has a, a lot of great information. And basically, guys, you know the the decline that we're in in the market is really not that unusual. It's not. Really? No, that's true. You, you don't hear that in the marketplace. That's right. um, The reasons are always different. But if you look back at history, a correction, which is down uh, when the markets are down by 10% or more, it's happened about once per year, going all the way back to nineteen hundred. Think about that.
1: That's a lot of time.
2: It is a lot that's of time. A lot of data points, sir. It? it really is. And then <laughs> the average length to recover is 115 days. So that's why when you hear us talk about this topic a little bit, sometimes it does go down, obviously lower than that. But that recovers typically fairly quickly.
1: So three and a half, four months. That's right. Pretty yep. much is the average recovery in a correction like this when it's down ten percent.
2: That's right. And the last time it happened um, was two thousand and fifteen in the um, yeah. in the uh, just the fall
1: just, just happened. Yeah, and before right. that it had been that's a couple right.
2: of years back to two thousand and eleven. So there doesn't mean it happens every single year, but on average it has and in two thousand sixteen. Ha- that's right. Yeah. It, so absolutely. here we are.
1: Yep, once leads a year. That into our
2: next topic once here. year,
1: exactly. And uh, that does, that leads us into our topic here, and that is, what about the markets? I mean, markets stink, you know, what now? You know, what do you do now? We talked a lot about the stock market here recently. Um, for MoneyMD, you know, this is the topic that just keeps giving, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, markets seem to get more vexing and complicated every week. And there seems to be no end to the questions that we get, you know, rightfully so, about what to do, I mean, given all the volatility and the falling values. So we're going to um, stay on that subject here, and um, we're going to talk about this. Um, Asset classes are well into correction territory across the board. In fact, most stock asset classes are now in bear market territory, down more than 20%. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's not unusual in a correction, because usually there are a lot of asset classes that go down faster, you know, than than the S&P 500 or blue chip stocks. And that's what's happened in this one as well. So naturally, though, one question we get is, what should I do now that it looks like the markets might go down further? Um, However, despite how it looks and feels You know, that is just simply uh, speculation. Absolutely, No one knows. It really is. No one really knows if it'll get any worse from here or go down further, regardless of the fact we've had something like three straight down months in a row or close to that. I mean, history shows there's still a better chance than not that it will go up next month. Um, The truth is momentum is not a significant factor in determining if the market will continue to go down lower. It's it's driven by new, unpredictable information, which you cannot know or predict ahead of time. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And, and there is, you know, like you, like we've mentioned, there is some negative information out there. You hear people talking about earnings, the slowdown of China, uh, obviously lower oil prices has had a negative impact, um, low GDP growth. However, all of that information is already priced in the markets today. It's only going to be the new information that affects the stock market tomorrow. And, you know, research proves that markets are very efficient and they factor in new information quickly into the price. So yesterday's information is now old. I mean, all those headlines that you saw about it, you see someone talking about it on TV, it's passed. It's, it's right. already in the market and it, it will not drive the market movement tomorrow. There'll be yeah. new information out.
1: Very old. I mean, yesterday's information is 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 history. Well, like, hey, like <laughs> we talked about
3: before. Also, sometimes that changes from morning to afternoon. Oh, that's right. Even, you know, that's so. exactly
1: right. Markets factor in. That's called the efficient market hypothesis. By the way, that mm-hmm. markets factor in information very quickly into their price. Yep. And research has academic research has proven that is true. Um, so yeah, we've talked about. You know, some of the basic things that you should do in down markets like this in recent shows, um, you know, one of them is rebalancing your accounts. You know, we do that for all of our clients that we manage money for. You mean buy low? Exactly. That's exactly right, John. Wow. It is buying low um, and selling a little bit of what's relatively high. You know, it forces you to do that consistently, um, to sell a little bit, which which has done the best or held the best. You know, most likely, if you're rebalancing in a down market like this, it's going to mean selling some bond funds and buying a little bit more in stocks Mm -hmm. while they're down. It's a disciplined process that forces you to sell a little high and buy a little low, and that has been shown to improve your returns over time and help control risk.
2: And just one comment on that. Rebalancing doesn't happen just in down markets. It also happens in good markets. If you go back to 2013 – you would sell a little piece of the stock funds high and put it back into the bonds to get it back intolerant. So it's a disciplined process, like you said.
1: Yeah, it happens up, down markets yep. and volatility actually actually helps the rebalancing process in terms of, of helping you to be able to get in mm-hmm. you know a little bit at low prices.
3: Yeah, and according to where you are, you know, in, in your journey, another thing we've mentioned is adding money, uh, if possible, since you're buying at a deep discount, you know, that's what we were just talking about. Uh, buy low. Uh, we also talked about making sure that you are diversified this is This is really important when markets are you know they start to recover Some asset classes, like you mentioned steve they'll recover faster than others and you want to be able to ride that up that up wave there you know for instance, if you were overweighted in technology stocks back in the early 2000 um, when they crashed, many of those still have not recovered to this day, and that 's some sixteen years later. I mean, think about that. If you were overweighted, mm. you know. And Steve, you've told several, several stories <laughs> yep. about people that you've met with uh, back then. You know, the the Nasdaq still hasn't recovered. To where it fell from then and that's why it's so so important that you're diversified across eight to ten different asset classes and rip and when you do that then you're represented by thousands of stocks not just you know pigeonholed in one section there so for heaven's sake do not own just a couple of individual stocks with your life savings, yeah, I had a couple
2: come in this week, and um, they were just retiring, and we were talking about 2008 a little bit, and they they've had, had a tough experience in the stock market, specifically in 08. Wow, their person they were working with, they bought a Lehman Brothers bond. Oh, ouch! ouch. Yeah yeah and uh, so we talked about diversification and they they were really scarred by that experience, so yeah, it's not only stocks but it's bonds as well. I mean you can
1: that's right you, know, you have
2: risk in individual securities
1: that's exactly right, yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you a quick story here. I talked to a gentleman here just recently who owned fifteen thousand shares and still owns it, I'm sure uh, of his previous employer stock, and that was by far his major asset. And wow, what a gamble with his, such a nice life savings that amounted to millions of dollars that could leave a great legacy for his kids, his grandkids, or charity. And it's trapped in this game of rushing to roulette with one stock, which could crash at any second, literally. Um, So, you know, I'll talk a little more about that when we come back from the break. But, I mean, it's just it's a risk you don't want to take. Mm -hmm. So we're going to elaborate that once we get back here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. And uh, we'll be back right after these stories. back to Money M.D., the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the stock markets. Mm-hmm. Markets stink again, yeah, unfortunately, dumb. guys. It happens. You know, we just went through the financial facts of the week, and we talked about the fact that, this isn't that unusual, is it?
2: It's not. It's happened uh, on average once per year, going back to nineteen hundred.
1: Exactly. That's for the that's
2: for the Dow. I mean, and it's it's
1: a, it's a little unusual. This bear market is stretched out. You know, that's this correction is stretched out as long as it has. And in, in terms of just flat markets, mm-hmm. um, but yet they're always a little different. You know, but it's not – statistically, it's not that unusual. So the question is, what do you do now? Um, and we've talked about this in recent shows. You know, I mean, there are some things that you definitely want to do in a down market. Um, bailing out is not one of them, by yeah, the way. Right. Um, that Rebalancing. Is not exactly. Rebalancing is a great time to rebalance in a down market. If we have a disciplined process like we do for our clients, then systematically force you to buy a little bit of what's low and sell a little bit of what's high relatively speaking. Um, And, uh, you know, add money if possible. We talked about that. You certainly want to do that. You want to make sure you're diversified. And, and that kind of leads us up, leads us up to our current uh, point here. And that is, you really want to make sure you're diversified. You want to make sure you don't have your money in just a few stocks. Unfortunately, A lot of people get trapped in that scenario, and I had talked to a gentleman here recently who had 15,000 shares of his previous employer's stock, and, you know, he knew he was crazy. I mean, but he just sounded paralyzed with the indecision as to what to do, and so if there's anything we've learned from the Great Recession of 2008, it's that any one company can go to nothing, and you can lose it all. I mean, think of airline stocks, for instance. Most airlines have declared bankruptcy over the past 15 years. The most major ones: mm-hmm. um, American, Delta, Northwest, United, U.S. Airways, Continental. They've all declared bankruptcy, and some of them more than once.
2: And you notice there's one name not on the list: Pan Am.
1: Yeah, right.
2: As a college student, I bought Pan Am as a penny stock, 700 bucks. Wow. And- I am. Nothing.
1: Nothing. Yeah. yeah. All, every every airline, every major one just about has yeah, gone bankrupt right. over the past even 15 years, but certainly over the past 30 years. I mean, the stockholders got left with nothing, and I had clients that ended up with nothing in their 401K because of the Delta bankruptcy mm-hmm. back in 2002. Sure, the, the companies still operate because they reorganize, but the stockholders get left holding the bag. So that's why you don't want to have just one or a few stocks. You know, um, now may be a great time to sell it if you do and to diversify it into the market at a low price. So we would certainly suggest you take a look at that. And one more thing we've touched on here recently is you should be... Focusing on your long-term plan rather than looking over your portfolio every week or every month or, or lamenting or every day. Every, every day. day, some
3: people's got it on alert on their phone. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know. Stop I mean, <laughs>
1: you you don't want to be lamenting and wondering. You know when it's going to recover. I mean, now it's not the time to focus on performance. Okay, it doesn't matter how great of a portfolio you have if you measure performance from a high point to a low point in the middle of a market correction like this, it's going to be depressing. I mean, for instance, if you started back in June of 2007 and you want to measure performance that you've done, uh, you know, through this month, I mean, you're just kind of warming up for your next dose of prozac for depression (laughs) i mean seriously you know i mean sure it might be positive but there are very few assets that have performed well from the market high of 2007 to the market low of today Um, so if you have to look at your portfolio's performance at least go back to the middle of another down market and take a look from march maybe 2009 or july 2002 and give yourself a chance for some hope and optimism.
2: Yeah, when you look at it over time it it, um, it paints a different picture. So you can kinda you know, if you look at it from a high to a low, it is it's gonna it's gonna be frustrating.
1: It is, it is. So personally I would suggest just avoid reviewing performance during down markets like this unless you simply want to compare how much is down versus each individual asset class benchmark. But that takes a little more sophistication and You know, looking at red numbers can lead you to make a poor decision based on emotions. So if you're confident that you're well diversified, then why not just avoid the exercise in depression and simply focus on your long-term plan instead?
2: Yeah, so what does it mean to focus on long-term plan? We keep kind of talking about that. Well, you know, now's probably a good time to update that plan or at least develop one. Um, So basically what that means is running retirement projections to see if you're on track for your golden years and what changes you may need to make you know, if you have a realistic plan, then you can, then it will incorporate. I mean, we incorporate in our process, you know, seven to nine down years over a 40-year projection. That takes into account inflation, um, withdrawals, different rates of return. But the key here is is down markets are not unexpected. They've happened in the past. They'll happen in the future. If you plan on them and you're in the middle of one, you don't have to make huge adjustments necessarily. Sometimes you do, depending on your circumstances, but most of the times it's built in to have negative and down years
1: exactly and when you update your plan in times like these with your current balances your pensions and your new social security estimates and your dates of retirement you get a clear picture of how the past two years might have affected those plans and when you when we work with clients that do that they're often surprised to see that they're still on track and that the recent down market really hasn't made that much of a difference. It's a real comfort to know that you're on track despite down markets and all the negative things you hear in the press and about the economy. So, on the other hand, I mean, if your plan shows that you're not on track, then you can see what needs to change. I mean, maybe you need to focus on paying off debt, you know, before retirement to lower your income need whenever you retire. You know, maybe it's simply a matter of getting more serious about socking money away in your 401K or fully funding a Roth account. You know, maybe you need a better mix of assets in your 401k with more toward stocks, which will afford you the opportunity to make a better return over time to reach your goals. Regardless of where the stress points are in your plan, you need to see those stress points and make adjustments now, particularly in light of the weak markets. But focusing on your plan in down markets um, where you can control some of the factors is a lot more productive than focusing on your portfolio where making adjustments is not likely to be beneficial.
3: Yeah, Steve, that's true because there's so many external factors that we cannot control. You know, when you focus uh, solely on your portfolio, it's usually counterproductive in down markets like these you know not only does it drag you down and create anxiety but it often leads to poor decisions because you know when when you're down like that <laughs> sometimes the decision making process uh runs askew there so sure there's nothing wrong with uh reviewing your portfolio on a per- periodic basis but in down markets You've got to stay committed and keep you know keep things in context too. Make sure that we keep things in perspective. Uh, that means reviewing each asset class, you know, compared to its benchmark, and has it done relatively well, you know, compared to that in your portfolio. That also means putting in context of history and realizing where this down market falls relative to other corrections and other bear markets. John, you know, like you mentioned earlier as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those are good points.
1: Yeah, and it's also important to know what a typical recovery looks like when markets are down in a similar magnitude where you are today. Um, You know, all of that information is necessary to keep your emotions in check and avoid making poor decisions when you look at your portfolio in the middle of a down market. Um, You know, it's simply easier to focus on your plan, your retirement plan or your financial plan, and avoid all the work involved in analyzing your portfolio in this kind of market and keeping it in context. If you don't think you have the time and discipline that it's going to take in a down market like this to keep it in proper context and historical perspective, then we would suggest you just get a good hobby, you know, (laughs) until markets improve. (laughs) Maybe it's time to start planning, you know, your spring plantings or your next getaway. Um, I mean, however, by all means, we do suggest that you take a close look at your retirement plan keep that front and center while markets are having this malaise we're we're going through here, Um, but focus on your plan will keep your energy directed toward a productive effort where you can make a difference instead of just supporting the makers of Prozac. That's right.
2: Put (laughs) the smartphone down. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Don't look at it daily. I mean, we do have clients that are listening today that (laughs) that watch it.
1: (laughs) Daily no, no names, no doubt I understand <laughs> all right, well, uh, real quickly here, that leads us up here to our question of the week
2: yeah, this question has actually has to do what we 're t- with what we 're talking about. I read an article that said not to panic due to the stock market uh, downturn and that it was normal. What does normal mean, and guys, this kind of really you know goes back to the financial fact about when you look back historically, I mean the reasons are always different, but the downturns have always happened. You know, we mentioned earlier that a correction happens about once per year, and that's going back to 1900. And the average correction or uh, the average length of that is about 115 days. So if you understand some of the historical nature from our standpoint, obviously, it's not fun going down, but we we plan on it. We expect it. We know how to to manage the process going through it because we've been through it so many times, and we understand this data very, very well.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, despite, you know, what you read in the press and all the alarming stuff you see and hear, um, you know, you just need to take a take the slow approach. Don't worry about it. Keep it in context and just look to the future. Discipl-
3: yeah. Really a disciplined <coughs> approach. Yeah, that's right.
1: Exactly.
2: And do some of the things we just talked about, you know, rebalancing, planning, things like that, and that's the way to get through it. That's
1: right. Exactly. All right. Good question. All right. That leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call during regular business hours. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages.
4: Stay up. Money, 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 money.
1: Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marber, a Certified Financial Planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is the Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us, and we are going to um, lead off our... Uh, Our next segment here with a new topic, and that is the 10 things women should know about their financial future.
2: Yeah, this is a very important topic. This comes from uh, McGraw-Hill. And, uh, you know, guys, we see, um, you know, we see divorces. We see uh, spouses, men, um, you know, typically live. Um, less years than their than their wives, and so we have folks that we work with, and we see this firsthand about just some things that you need to actively involve in, and don't wait until that happens. So go ahead and start this process today so get your you know pad of paper and your pencil or pen out and start taking some notes here because these are some things that can really change your financial destination and and so the first thing is is really anticipate that you're likely to live a long life and and you got to plan accordingly in fact according to the US census bureau a woman who reaches the age of 50 today without serious health problems can anticipate celebrating their 92nd birthday. Man, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, and I have a grandmother who's 100, so she's living living proof of that. And women in the United States, on average, will live to reach 81 uh, years of age, compared with men's life expectancy of about 76. So about five years longer. So you're you know you've always left money matters to your husband. If you have, you need to start learning today some of the topics, some of the details, getting involved in that process, because at some point in the future, you may have to manage that, right?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Sure is. Another one here, though, is beware of being overly conservative in your investments. This is very, very true, particularly in this kind of market. I mean, when you look at where we are today, I mean, it's easy to be overly conservative, and I think um, women have more of a tendency to do that than men do, but uh, anybody can be can can fall into that trap. So while there is a correlation between your age and the amount of risk that you should assume when investing, being too conservative can seriously erode the value of your retirement account. I mean, you may need to rely on this money for 30 years or more, and that's why you should think of retirement as a long-term investment. Consider keeping a significant portion of your portfolio in stocks as long as possible. You know, I mean, yeah, we think... Maybe maybe thirty, forty, fifty percent of your portfolio right. should be in equities, long term. pretty much long term through retirement.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, number three here on the list is is pay yourself first. I mean, invest for the future today. I mean, by investing systematically over a period of time, you'll really be surprised how fast your nest egg can grow. And you know, here's some of the numbers that that you hear us talk about. Dave Ramsey talks about this a lot. But at age twenty five, if you began investing five thousand dollars per year which is $417 per month, um, and you earned an 8% rate of return, you could have over a million dollars at age 65. So that's a 40-year time frame. Um, and so if you're listening and you're not 25 out there, um, maybe you have you know, um, daughters or you have granddaughters or grandsons that you can share this information with
3: and change someone's life by starting early. That's right. And uh, number four we have on the list, um, there's all kinds of online calculators that you can utilize to uh, help you kind of determine what's the best IRA for your particular situation. Uh, You know, you can ask your financial advisor to run some numbers for you as well, you know, to compare the projected results of contributing to different types of accounts, you know, and that could also uh, be illustrated on what it might look like um, converting traditional IRAs Mm -hmm. to Roth IRAs because, you know, if you're young, it may make sense uh, considering, you know, we know the the tax environment today, but we have no idea what it will look like tomorrow.
2: Yeah, that's right. So making sure you get the right IRA—that's a good one. That's right. Another one yeah. here on the list is is funding your your IRAs, um, your four hundred one k's, and other employee sponsored programs. You know, to the max, um, you can build up a good portion of your retirement savings if you contribute the maximum allowed uh, into a deferred income plans such as a four hundred one k. You know, you can reduce your taxable income basically by doing this, and uh, that tax deferred compounding feature. Allows you to accumulate a lot more than if you had to pay the taxes every year. So, you know we're also big believers in Roth IRAs. Dave Ramsey talks about that a lot as well. So oh, that yeah. needs to be in the mix somewhere as well. So make sure you're funding and you have a plan and a strategy to, to fund those those accounts that uh, that are opportunities for you. Another one here is remember the uh, this Social Security tip. Even if you are divorced, you're entitled to half of your ex-spouse's Social Security benefits if you're 62 years or older were married for at least 10 years and have not remarried. So a widow, um, as long as she doesn't remarry before the age of 60, is entitled to about 72% of her husband's Social Security benefit. So, you know, there's a lot of details around this topic and so make sure you spend some time with your advisor. Certainly go to the Social Security office and get some estimates but that is a potential benefit that you want to make sure you understand.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because that is often overlooked with uh, widows and and, and folks that are divorced. If you're also, if you're employed and you decide to switch jobs, check and make sure you understand your complete benefits package. It's easy to overlook Look the details of that, including the portability and the vesting rules of your retirement plan. The U.S. Department of Labor Statistics reports that, on average, working women age 25 switch jobs about every five years. And that job change frequency often limits the growth of the retirement plan assets due to vesting requirements, mm-hmm. which typically are set at five or six years. So... Make sure your pension, you understand the pension and matching 401K vesting requirements and that you're not shooting yourself in the foot by changing jobs that often. Yeah. Make sure you get what's coming to you and at least understand the whole picture.
3: Yep. Number eight on the list is investigate your employer's tuition reimbursement benefits. Uh, a lot of times, you know, employers, they'll, they'll pay or they'll reimburse for uh, people to go back to school. And, you know, this could prove very valuable into your retirement working years. Seventy-four percent of workers said they expect to work for pay during their retirement years. You know, going back to school to develop secondary employment skills or just to even learn a new field can be tremendously beneficial if you choose to take on a career, you know, or do something else after the fact, and having that uh, in place can be very valuable moving forward. Yeah, that's a good one. Number nine here on the list
2: is long-term care insurance. I mean, the cost of spending a year in a nursing home can can exceed you know hundred thousand dollars in some areas. It's probably sixty to seventy in the uh, CSRA, and the average duration is about three years. So you could face you know anywhere from one hundred and fifty to to two hundred and fifty thousand um, of nursing home care in. Recovery. Retirement, so you've got to make sure you plan ahead, and you don't leave everything to, to Uncle Sam. I mean, you got to expect to leave. Um, you got to plan if you want to leave stuff, you know, some of your assets to heirs. Um, you need to have an estate plan. So, especially going through and doing a plan to make sure that your assets aren't being taxed and that you have certain types of insurance plans, you know, long-term care insurance. It's very expensive if you have to use a nursing home, so having that plan ahead of time can preserve some of your assets as well. And the last one here on the list is um Call your financial advisor <laughs> yeah. to talk about some of this stuff. And if you don't have one, we can certainly be more than happy to sit down with you and, and talk through your situation. But there are a lot of topics here. There's a lot of um, a lot of uh, confusing things when you start talking about Roth IRAs and 401ks and um, Social Security and long-term care. So we know it's confusing out there. These are this is just a list of things that you want to ask someone. Go do some research. Again, Dave Ramsey is a great resource. Susie Orman, I know a lot of folks follow her. Clark Howard. Hopefully, fo- folks are you know tuning into the Money Doctors. We try to give you know good consumer education as well. So make make this a priority for two thousand and uh, this this current year, and um, let's let's go forward with it.
1: Yeah, women have to make a, a, a proactive effort to take control of their finances. Yep. You know you can't you can't leave it up to. Um, You know, your husband, uh, you don't, I mean, everybody, unexpected things happen in life. And if you have daughters like we do, encourage them to get involved, get smart about their finances, take control. So at least they're in the know about it. And if you're married, get an asset inventory list together so that you're leaving your spouse a list of everything you know about where all their assets are. So they'll have a place to start. So I think those are all great points, and, and this is just a really important topic that women need to be aware of yes. and, and make sure they they know kind of where things are and where they're going financially in their lives. Yeah, and so. teaching
2: them as, as youth as well. I mean, I know you, know, you have two young kids. Our, our daughters are getting older, and we still have conversations with
3: them and help them. But Dave Ramsey has some good materials to act your Wage? Yeah, the that, game. they've got a great uh, – we, we play that all the time. That's one of their favorite games to play, and it, it gives them hands-on. I mean, my 7-year-old. She knows how to manage money. She's like, Daddy, I'm the CFO. I make $143,000 a year. And, you know, it's it's a great resource. Yeah, that's great. And it's fun to watch
2: them as they get older and start doing some good money habits like saving in ross and emergency funds and things like that. So that's going to pay off in, in spades going forward.
1: It really will. Get them involved early, too, you know, in just uh, saving money, just like you're doing, Gordon, with your kids and and uh, with college kids like we have. They just need to be involved in making financial decisions and, and understanding how things work. Okay, well, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD right back at the Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is the Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are going to start off our last segment here with the prescription of the week. Yes, if
2: you do not get a paper statement, for like a utility or some type of service bill, cable, um, bill. cable bill, whatever, phone bill, make sure you, you print one out periodically or at least go online and check the activity. Tammy and I did this um, recently, and and I'm usually pretty good about seeing, so we have everything paperless, so everything, we don't get any paper statements, and we're actually changing that for a little period of time, but I called up the, the um, uh, DishNet, and my oh, yeah. cable bill had gone up, and they said it had gone up $5.00. And they said they sometimes have, you know, rate increases. And I'm like, well, I never knew about it. And they said, well, we'll, give, we'll take that $5 off for six months. And there was some other issues with the bill. But if I wouldn't have been looking at the bill, I'm not sure I would have called. So make sure that you're looking at all your bills. I would say maybe at least quarterly or, or get familiar with the number that should show up. You know, like for cable, ours is like 80 bucks. And so that's the bill that should be showing up every single month. And, um, you know, there are ways to lower your bill. Call folks up and say that you're going to move your account. You know, you're going to change from DISH to, you know, whatever. Direct. Oh, Direct they'll, TV.
1: They'll get a lot more serious they about will. The price then. They'll
2: help you out with, with, with yeah. your issues. So um, just make sure you're looking at your bills because that was not the only one we had an issue with. We had an oh, issue wow. with another one. As well, so we found two mistakes, um, and we typically don't look at them online. So that's that's bad for us. That's why I'm doing the prescription of the week. Do it.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I I did the same thing. I mean, I actually get paper statements on some things, like my cable bill. Yeah. And for us, it's Directv. Um, because there are so many add-ons, mm-hmm. you know, and you go through and look at those, and you know, you're paying the service plan, and you're paying for hey, all these different things that maybe you don't need. Um, if you don't pay attention to it and look at it occasionally it, it does creep up yeah. every single year. And they'll they'll change it on you without you knowing. They will. And they will negotiate. You know, if you let it expire, if you don't automatically renew things like XM satellite radio for instance, if you automatically renew, you're gonna pay sticker price and it's gonna be huge. Mm-hmm. Oh absolutely if you let it expire almost expire, then then they'll get real with you. Yeah. You yeah
2: know? Also called um, you know insurance and said, you know, my homeowner's insurance went up fourteen Percent for the second year in a row, and I'm like, you need to sharpen your pencil a little bit. Can you see if you can do something on my overall account? And uh, so they're looking at that as well. So it's okay to ask questions. Well, John, exactly. did, did,
3: did you check your deductible on that too?
2: Deductible, no, huh? No, I had that already set. <laughs> very high, right? It's high, it is high. Let's hope it's
1: high. Okay. It is
2: high. That's where you have an emergency fund, you can set it higher. That's right, exactly. save, save on your premiums. Exactly.
1: Okay, good, good prescription of the week. And that leads up here to our last topic, and that is retirement products. Now you know, apparently there's some changes coming down the
3: pipe here, right, Gordon? That's right. If you had some uh, legislation that's been, uh, you know, posed now that's going to affect, you know, create some new wrinkles coming with the question of whether workers should keep their savings in the company 401Ks, you know. And this is an issue that we address and discuss quite frequently um with people you know and steve we're going to come across a term here called, uh fiduciary and would you mind just sharing with our audience people that are listening what that actually means because i want i want everybody to understand in context what a fiduciary is yeah that's a good point
1: in the financial industry there are two types of of uh, of categories that a service provider comes into they're either a suitability they come to a suitability standard like a broker would have, or right. it 's a fiduciary standard and a fiduciary means that they have to treat your put your interest above their own that 's right to put it in real common language that 's it they have to put your interest above their owns a suitability standard means. All they have to do is prove that it doesn't harm you, that it is suitable for your situation, in the sense that it doesn't it doesn't hurt you. What they're
3: offering you or are proposing. Perfect, and 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 that's 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 a great definition, and, and being able to just you know put it in layman's terms that way, because I want people to understand what we're talking about when we do refer to fiduciaries later on uh, in our discussion here, you know. But regulations expected to take effect this year will add new wrinkles. To that question that we were talking about, uh, whether they should leave the 401k uh, where it is, or whether they should look at, you know, possibly rolling it out into something else. The U.S. Department of Labor so-called fiduciary proposal will require brokers to act in the best interest of retirement savers who are considering rolling that 401k out uh, into an IRA or some other type of account. You know, Currently, brokers are held, like you mentioned, to a, a lesser standard, actually, that allows them to sell investment products Um, that are merely just suitable, you know. And so many are seeing this as a historic pro-consumer event uh, with its proposal.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, the Department of Labor and the Office of Management and Budget is currently reviewing proposals which, if approved by the office, would um, are expected to publish a final form in the coming weeks of this new fiduciary standard and generally the regulations will take effect about eight months after the publication according to the Department of Labor. So, you know, that's kind of what's in the pipe. That's right.
2: Yeah, and when they do take effect, uh, investors who seek a broker's recommendation on what to do with an old 401k asset, they'll be less vulnerable to, to poor quality, conflicted advice. And the fact that some investors have, have been ill-served at this critical juncture, um, you know, could be a reason to leave the 401k
3: assets where they are. There are some reasons. And you've seen that happen uh, before. I've even had people mention that to me. Uh, because of either, you know, someone that they knew or had worked with had a bad experience. You know, and and hopefully this is setting the stage for a little better transparency. You know, the disclosure of all all retirement products will become more like, you know, getting information on a car now. Uh, You know, decades ago, consumers, they had little in the way of knowing what they were actually being charged for and, you know, be, they they wanted to make sure that they were being treated fairly at the auto dealership, you know, and these days, you know, increased price transparency and all the information that's available out there, you know, it's just it's – a, it's a much more open book. Uh, there's so much information available. You know, meanwhile, prices for many investment products – They've remained murky at times. And, you know, when investors seek advice from a broker on what to do with the 401k asset that they have uh, from their prior job, the broker may offer the investor, like we said, an IRA, an annuity, or some other type of product. But, you know, brokers, they're compensated on transactions and the sales many times of financial products. And since no money, you know, actually exchanges hands directly, the transaction may not feel like a, a, a sale. and An investor may not be aware of the commissions or the fees or the overall expenses involved, but that differs, like we were talking about a little bit earlier there, Steve, that differs from, you know, a registered investment advisor and how brokers uh, do business sometimes, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does, and, and that is a very important point. And, and so registered investment advisors like us, by contrast are held at a higher standard. We're held at the fiduciary standard, meaning we have to put the interest of clients above our own. Right. You know, we have to treat them as we would our own money. Whereas brokers are held to that lower standard typically where they only have to prove a suitability standard. In other words they're they're not that harming it fits. That it fits And it's not harming them. Um, They're not doing harm to an investor. And the investors often have a real hard time distinguishing between the different types of investment professionals, which is another reason um, to hold them to similar standards of personal conduct, according to the Department of Labor. So under these new rules um, that they're considering... Um, Brokers will, you know, be held to a higher standard when they're dealing with retirement plans is really what this comes down to. But under the current standard, a broker is allowed to steer clients to an investment that pays him, you know, just a commission uh, instead of any kind of ongoing management fee. And even though it charges clients higher
3: operational expenses – Inside of the, that's the right, and, and they and they don't have to disclose necessarily. That's they usually right. don't disclose those internal fees. They don't you know, disclose fees. the
1: commission usually, you know? and that's that's the different standard, a lower standard. That's right.
2: Yeah, and you know, a lot of times these, like you're you know, like you're saying, the fees, um, the product themselves are very very confusing. People don't understand them. Um, does it really fit into an overall plan, an overall situation? And um, it's just very confusing for, for folks. I think this standard is going to help people to have more
3: information. It's going to be more transparent as well. Yeah. Under the new regulations, the broker, they would have to put the client's interest first, like we've mentioned several times here, when giving retirement advice. Uh, while he can continue to receive commissions, he would need to disclose, you know, potential conflicts of interest. And also now they'll be required to uh, provide a written agreement, which would provide the client information on fees and compensation and um, um, also an illustration of investment returns and stuff. So, you know, it's it's, it's really, I think, a push to protect the consumer sure. here, you know, and, and like I mentioned earlier, that was one thing that really attracted me uh to Richard Young Associates, the firm, and the transparency in that, you know, we didn't have to be forced by federal regulations to do this. This was just part of what we did, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I know consumers and people that I sit down with, they appreciate that. They 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 appreciate seeing that uh, ahead of time.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And I think what people listening out there need to keep in mind is that it's very important that you work with somebody that's held to a fiduciary standard that puts your interest equal to your own and puts your interest actually above their own instead of a suitability standard where they're selling you some kind of commission product that's that's really kind of the bottom line and uh so a real important pop topic and uh, a good good topic as well. Well, that brings us to a close, though, for this week's edition of Money MD. So tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can email us your questions. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us directly at infomoneymd.net at or give us a call, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.
0: Se